Thanks for joining me for another episode of Carla Reads the Classics. As always, I welcome your comments, your questions, your suggestions. You can reach me at CarlaReadsTheClassics at gmail.com. And now let's jump back into Theodore Pratt's The Money, Segment 17. Paul wandered about among the gleaming new cars in the big showroom of the automobile company. No one paid any attention to him, for he did not in the least look like a new car customer. He admired the large limousines and the four-doors, the two-door hardtops, and even the convertibles. He didn't aspire especially to any of them, but rather to the sleek, neat little open sports cars. Some day he would own one of those and go cornering around town to the admiration of everyone. Today he didn't, at least realistically, aspire even to one of these, though he touched them with loving fingers and lingered to be near them with admiration in his dark eyes. Today he had come for something less, an article not as expensive or so grand. That he could afford this was something of a miracle, brought about by the money. It hadn't taken long to save enough, and he had it all with him, exactly $64.35. He regretted the 15 cents bus fare he had to spend to get here, for that would have given him added capital. He might not be able to get the permit and the license tag today, but he could arrange for the car. Then he'd show George. He'd show the president of the five musketeers, who was getting too bossy, ordering people around and telling them what to do, taking half a dollar that didn't belong to him, sitting down and watching them do the work of putting up the flagpole for the flag, even if he had put it up the first time, directing them, running things his way, shouting at them the way he did that day when he cried, Knock it off! Who do you think he was anyway? His position seemed to have gone to his head. He wanted to tell everybody else what to do. He didn't even want anybody else to have an idea, and when anybody did, he tried to take it for himself, or make it better, or if he couldn't do that, to ignore it. He seemed to pick on him, Paul, especially for this. Well, that would soon be changed. Later, after he drove up in his new car, or at least his car, George would be taken down a peg. A couple of pegs. A whole lot of pegs. George wasn't so smart. Maybe he was a pretty good leader, but he wasn't so smart. Paul would show him. He'd sure show him. He left the new car showroom and went out to the used car lot. He kept away from the front of this where the highly polished, fairly recent models were lined up and went to the rear section where the jalopies were kept. One of these was all he could afford to start. Paul had his plan all ready. He knew just what to say, and after he got the car delivered to him, here in a few days, he would drive at once to Buckingham Hills and the clubhouse to show George and the others. Then he'd keep it on a side street near the hills where his folks wouldn't know about it. He didn't know what they'd say if they learned he had it, but he could suspect. A morose-looking man came out and stood among the jalopies, appearing as though the quality of the cars in his charge depressed him. He eyed Paul when he approached and passed by him, but didn't say anything, for even here he didn't look like a customer. Paul went along the two lines of jalopies, which got worse the farther he went back. His heart sank at the prices. He had thought they would be a good deal lower, 
but he knew these were the asking prices that could be dickered. He didn't know how good he would be at dickering, but he hoped to be able to bring the price down. He couldn't afford a hundred and fifty dollars. He couldn't afford one hundred for that slick little job whose paint looked almost new. He couldn't even afford seventy-five dollars for the ancient convertible that had hardly a dent in it. The last car in the second row was no beauty, and it was pretty old, at least eight years, but it was a two-seater, and painted across its windshield in large yellow letters was the figure forty-five dollars. Paul wasn't crazy about it, nor its make, but it was about what he could afford, and it would do. He had to save some of his money for a driver's permit, license, and for gas. It was an awful lot better than no car at all, and George wouldn't have any car. He went back to where the salesman stood and approached him, asking, "'You the man here? "'What you want, kid? "'I'd like to see about a car. "'You? "'The last one down there. "'You've got it priced at forty-five dollars, but I thought, "'Wait a minute. "'You're talking about buying a car for yourself?' Stoutly, Paul replied, "'Yes.' "'You've got to be kidding!' "'No, I'm not.' It was best not to show any hesitancy. He looked up and down. He was looked up and down with contempt. No, what makes you think you ain't? Paul summoned up his knowledge and plan. Because I know that in this state you can get a junior driver's permit to drive in the daytime at fourteen. And they're crazy to give them at age. But it's the law. Are you fourteen? Just exactly. You're nuts. I suppose you think you could claim that and get it, but you ain't twelve, more likely eleven, or even ten. Paul was insulted at that last figure, though the one next to it hit the nail right on the head. I'm, get out of here. But I said, get out of here. You mean, you heard me, so go on. The salesman was so emphatic and rude that Paul finally accepted the dictum. On the way to the street, he reflected that his plan hadn't worked out very well. In fact, it had barely been allowed to start. He thought he might find a more polite salesman at another lot. But when he remembered how that, how that one cut him right off at the age thing, he was sure it would be the same elsewhere. Maybe he shouldn't have tried for a car. He lowered his sights and thought of a motorcycle. He walked along the street where many car dealers were located. It was the part of town catering to motor vehicles of all kinds. He came to a motorcycle shop which dealt in both new and used. Here he didn't even go among the new offerings, but found his way to the second-hand department. Men were working on the machines and starting and stopping them with a great roar of explosions. Motorcycles made more noise than cars. In that way, they were really more satisfactory. Paul worked up an enthusiasm for this aspect of his second choice. When he roared up to the clubhouse on his motorcycle, the other musketeers would run out to see what it was, and it would be him, and he would stomp on the accelerator and make a good big roar which would impress George, and the others too. Then they'd see who was the most important person around there. Paul thought his folks might not mind a motorcycle and would let him keep it at home in the side of the garage. Completely sold now on the idea, Paul walked up to where several men were talking beside a machine that had been left running and which one man was holding up by the handlebars. Paul stood there, close, looking at it and listening to the deep explosions of the motor. He watched the men as two of them 
left and one remained, the one holding the motorcycle. He was a muscular fellow in white coveralls, which with much which were much marked with grease. He ignored Paul and was about to push the still-running machine into the repair shop when Paul spoke. "'Mister!' the man turned his head and eyed him, asking, "'Yeah?' "'You sell motorcycles?' "'Sure do.' "'I'd like to buy one.' "'Would, huh?' Paul was looked over. "'I mean a second-hand one. I don't think I could afford a new one.' think you could handle any kind? Why, yes. Sure, sure. All right. Try it. The man indicated the machine he held. Paul asked, you want me to hold it? Go ahead. Paul stepped up and took hold of the handlebars whose the man's, where the man's hands didn't cover them. Close up, he was a little afraid of the running engine and its power. The man took his own hands away from the handlebars, and the whole enormous weight of the machine came against Paul. He was pushed back, and he tried to hold it up, but the machine kept falling, and it would have gone right to the side of the ground if the man hadn't stepped in again, caught it, and put it straight. He asked Paul, "'See what I mean? It's pretty heavy. Too heavy for you?' "'I guess so. But you like them?' He wasn't so sure now, but he said, Yep. Then come around again in a few years, and we'll sell you one. All right, said Paul, and added, Thanks. His second attempt to obtain a wheeled vehicle operated by a combustion engine, a failure, Paul wandered farther down the street. He didn't know exactly what to do now. He kept going past many places selling what he wanted but couldn't have. Then he came to, then he came to still another kind. The motor scooters were lined up outside the store on the sidewalk, and many more were inside. There wasn't anything the matter with the scooter. Some of them could go as fast as many cars. Some even made a good noise. Those Italian ones especially made a fine racket. And they had good lines, too. Paul entered the motor scooter place with renewed hope. The man here was somewhat like the automobile salesman. If anything, he was more abrupt. When he learned what Paul wanted, he demanded, "'Do you know you've got to have a license for a scooter the same as a car?' "'I know,' said Paul. "'In this state you can get—' Rudely, the man informed him, "'You couldn't get anything. "'But I can run a scooter. "'It's still a motor vehicle, and you wouldn't be allowed to run it afoot. "'I—so beat it. "'I—get lost!' Insulted, Paul left. He felt humiliated. The more he thought about the treatment given him, the more sorry for himself he was. Not getting a car wasn't so bad. Even not getting a motorcycle wasn't so bad. But not being allowed to get a scooter was something else. He felt like a little kid who had been slapped for an offense he didn't commit. Worst of all, it meant he wouldn't be able to show George. After all the time he had spent saving his money to get enough to be able to show him, he had failed. George would go right on being overbearing and too big for his pants. Well, he'd have to find some other way to show him. And he would find it. He would. That brings us to the end of segment 17. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.